Amen. Turn with me, if you would, this evening for a short time, as the Lord may enable us in reading in Psalm 103, the psalm that we read together in the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, and we want to look at the verse that we have in verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now, last week, not this week, last week I was down in Aaron, and as many of you know, uh, uh, there was a godly lady there who died, and I had to go down for the funeral. This week, the deacon in Aaron passed away, and again I had to go down this week to conduct the funeral there. We're reminded all the time that death is around us. The son of the man in, in Aaron this week said that the favourite psalm that his father had, he was a deacon in the congregation, his favourite psalm was Psalm 103. And with that in mind, I addressed the those in Aaron at the funeral from this psalm. And it's, a, it's a, a wonderful psalm. It's a glorious psalm, the psalm of David. It's a psalm that he recalls and seeks to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord for all that the Lord has done for him. We noticed right at the beginning that O oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That was the great desire of David, that with his whole being, his soul and everything that was in him would praise and magnify the Lord. My friend, did David throughout his life praise and magnify the Lord in, in everything he did and everything he thought? Of course he didn't. David was a sinner just as we are sinners. But this was his great desire. This was what he, there's only one who could say that with his soul and with everything that was in him, he blessed and praised the holy name of the Father, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And yet for all that David was a man, a sinful man, who sinned in his life, at the end of his day was able to say, my house is not so before God, Yet his great desire was that he would bless the Lord. And look at the reasons he gave for blessing the Lord. It, 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 for all the benefits, that he would not forget all the benefits that he had. He forgives his sins, all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems thy life. My friend, we could make a sermon this evening in all these Blessings, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, until he comes right down uh, into verse 10. Uh, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. My friend, what wonderful reason the, 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 the psalmist had for pra praising, praising the Lord. As far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. We could go into all these blessings this evening, but I want to bring us this evening to verse 13. 
Because in verse 13, you, you, you discover another blessing that the, the, the psalmist experiences at the hands of the Lord. As a, like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. What a wonderful testimony that is, isn't it? What a wonderful what a wonderful message to be able to bring at a funeral that God is a father to the fatherless and to those that fear him, his pity, uh, his pity is upon them. How is it that David is able to establish all these blessings? How is it that David is able to know the blessings that that are that are recorded here? How how is David able to experience these? Well, he experiences in this verse the Father. God is his Father. That is what David is rejoicing in. This is the great blessing that David knows. He knows God not just as his creator. He knows the Lord not just he knows the Lord not just as his judge, but he knows the Lord as his Father. What a wonderful intimate relationship that David experiences. The Christian is able to say, as the Lord Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, he says, pray our Father, which art in heaven. What a wonderful relationship that the world knows nothing of, that the world is ignorant of. He comes to know God as a father, and the Christian comes to know God as a father by a new birth, a spiritual new, a new birth, whereby they are, they, are, they are brought into, born into a spiritual family, the family of God. Think of that. You're, you're, you are the family of the living God. You are part of God's wonderful family. Think of how... Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And when you come to verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the sons of God. It is by a new birth that we are born into a family, a new family. What a wonderful family that is. It's the, it's the, it is God as our Father, Jesus Christ is the elder brother. And we are brothers and sisters together in this wonderful family. And we are able to say, God is our father. Paul continues, they are the sons of God, for they, they, they have not received the spirit of bondage against your fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. My friend, that's not to be able to call God your father, to be able to say he is my father and I am part of his family by adoption, to be adopted into the family of the living God. And it's not just that we are able to call him the father. It is that he pitieth his children. He shows pity to them. Think of of what it is to show pity. He sympathizes with them and he pities them because he loves them. They're his children and he pities them. 
I was on the way over to, to Arran on the ferry. And as I was making my way on the, on the ferry, I was in the dining area and there was a woman there with a, a young child, young child really in, in her arms. The child was very, very young. And the child was obviously distressed, very distressed. Probably the first time the child had ever been on a ferry. It was in this, this dining area. People were speaking. There was noise. The ferry began to move. And this young child was distressed. The mother was trying to, to comfort him. I pitied that child. I pitied the child. That is Racham in the Hebrew. Racham in the Hebrew. But that is not the pity that the mother has for the child. I had pity for the child as a stranger. And in the Hebrew, that is Racham. She had Rachim in the Hebrew. The, the word that's used is Kirachim. In the Hebrew, it's, it's appeal. Now, appeal is very, very intense. It's a very intense word in the Hebrew. It's the difference between if you break something, that would be a, a, the normal verb, the cow. That, that would just be a normal verb. Appeal would be, I smashed it. Or here's a good man. That would be the cow. The appeal would be, here is a holy man, a sanctified man. And the word that's used here in the Hebrew, the father, uh, Rachim, it's a very intense word. The father is not just at a distance uh, uh, showing concern, but it's, a, it's the love of a father to his children. And in every situation, the father shows this pity to his people. My friend, what pity can the false gods of this world show to the devotees? What pity can sticks and stones ever show? What pity does Allah ever show? What pity does any of these, these false gods ever show? But my friend, the Lord Jehovah, our God, he has the pity of a father towards his children dear. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To know tonight that in no matter what situation you are brought into, if you are one of God's people, the Lord pities his people. He looks upon them. He sympathizes with them. He sympathizes with them in every situation that they would find themselves in. But that brings us then to ask the question, why does he pity? Why does the Father show such intense pity to sinners such as we are? Well, we've already begun to touch on that, haven't we? It is because they are his children. They are brought in, born again, into this world, you receive the kingdom, says Jesus, except you receive the kingdom as a little child, you shall not enter therein. We are brought into that kingdom by that new birth. And so that the Lord, the, the Lord becomes a father to us. He is the father. But in knowing that, it's not just because we are children 
But it is also, he says, uh, like as a father pitieth, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knoweth our frame. He knoweth our frame. You see, the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our very composition. He knows what we're made of. He knows what his children are like. He knows them as God. He has made them. He has created them. He draws these sinners to himself. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows the trials that you will go through. He will know the defeats that you will have. He knows the times when you will sin. When you would seek to do good, you find that evil is present with you. Do you not think God knows that? God knows our fate. He knows exactly. He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows everything. Because God is God and he knows. But there's more than that, isn't there? He knows our frame because God himself has taken our nature. Isn't that wonderful? God in, in Christ, he is God manifest in the flesh. It is not just Jehovah God that knows, but now our great high priest knows exactly what it's like to be in this world. He is able to be a great high priest to sympathize with us in all our trials and tribulations. My friend, the Lord knows your frame. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your sins. He knows how prone you are to sin. He knows it all. He knows you, your frame, and he knows the purpose for, for which you have been made. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. He knows all of that. He knows it. But think of the second reason he, he, he says here. Not only does he know our faith, but he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that. God remembers that we are dust. You see, the, the, the father is dealing with his children and he knows what his children are like. He knows their frame. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their strength. He knows that they will, they like children, they will, they will run before they, 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 they should be walking. He knows that. He knows all these things. He knows everything. And then he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that. Now, how does God remember that? God doesn't forget anything. God doesn't need to remember anything because God doesn't forget anything at all. And if you look at it here, you will find that there is a, 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 an actual act of God in remembering something. He will bring it up before him. He remembers we are dust. He, uh, uh, and and uh, 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 he knows our days are as the grass. He knows that our time in this world is limited. He knows that we are heading towards death. He knows that we are sinners headed towards death. 
He knows our frames and he remembers that we are dust. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Because when you go back to, to verse 12, as far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. In other words, he forgets our sins, but he remembers we are dust. He remembers that. He forgets one, and God can't forget anything. But he will never bring that up against his children. Because he, he pities his children. He knows his children go astray. He knows his children are not perfect. He knows all that. As I know, when I raise my children and you, if you've had children, you know your children are not perfect. They're not. Of course they're not. The Lord knows his children are not perfect. But he, he, he will forget it such that it will be as far as east is distant from the west. He will push that away from him and never raise it again. On the other hand, he will remember, he will bring to his remembrance all the time that we are dust. He remembered, as for man, his days are as the grass, as the flower in the field, so he flourishes. The wind passeth over it and is gone, and the place whereof it shall know it no more. The Lord knows all these things, I wish to say. The Lord is fully aware of all these things. So if he deals with them as a father, and he, 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 he does so because, and pities his children, because he, he knows they're going through this dark world. He knows their frame. He knows they're like they're dust. He knows that they're going to that they will be leaving this world. What's the what is the 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 result of that pity? Well, he says, but but look at verse seventeen. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. While we are dust, and while our time in this world will come to an end, his pity, his mercy, will never come to an end. His mercy will never stop. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. The time will come. When the place that once knew us will know us no more. But God's mercy won't stop then. His children will be taken home to be in the home which is the Father's home. Which is their true home. His mercy will reach down. Even when they pass through the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord is there. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. You see, God acts as a father to them. He acts as a father. And what father would cast away his children? The Lord will never cast away his children. His mercy to them, the forgiveness that they have as children, when they go astray, he will come, he will bring them back to himself. When they fall, he will be there to pick them up and see them on their way again. Their eyes will turn to the right and he will come and he will say, look this way. You need to keep going. 
because you're coming home to be with your father. And you're coming home to be with the elder brother. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Keep looking forward. He encourages his children. And when his children come to hurdles and they get over these hurdles, he's there to lift them up, to bring them on again. Keep running, he said. Keep running the race. Keep going forward. Keep pressing on towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Do not count yourself as though you have already apprehended it. But keep going, my children. And my mercy to you will never end. My mercy will never stop. Now, who is it that these wonderful blessings are given to? Who is it that, that he's talking about here? Well, he's talking about his children. But look at how he describes his children. Look at how he describes them in our verse. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Them that fear him. They have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, be is the beginning of all wisdom. They have the fear of the Lord. And what does that, that mean? Well, it, 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 and, and if you look at the, the, the text here, you get it in verse 13. A father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You get it in two verses earlier. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. Then again in verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. Here it is again. This relationship is not a relationship with all mankind. It's a relationship that is unique with his children. And he pities them. And they fear him. Now, what do we mean when, when, we, when we say, when it says they, they fear him? Well, it can't be a carnal fear. Because you remember, once again, when you go back to, to Paul's epistles, epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, where he spoke there about the spirit of adoption. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The fear here is not a carnal fear. Paul says we don't have the spirit again of bondage and of fear. What a thing it is to, to fear God with a carnal fear, to run away from him. Adam ran away from him. When, when, when the Lord came and, and asked Adam, where art thou? He went away and hid behind the trees. He couldn't stand before the Almighty. Man runs away, he's frightened. But this is not a carnal fear like that. We don't have, we're not, it's a, it's a godly spiritual fear that we are reverent you reverence the father the way a child raised up honours and reverence should honour and reverence his, his parents like a father 
the father may make decisions that the child might not agree with, may chastise the child, but the father's doing it out of love. And the child should reverence the father, their father. They should give honour to their father. Young people, honour your mother and your father. Honour. And so it is that while on the one hand you have God the father pitying his children, his children at the same time are drawn to give reverence and godly fear to, the, to God their father. Godly fear and godly reverence. And it tells you, does it not, that what a day we live in, for example, where marriage, which is a picture of Christ in the church, is so thought little of. You can have quickie divorces and all the rest of it. But marriage is showing the relationship between Christ and the church. And the family unit, mother, father and children, a picture of the church. The church itself bringing, conceiving and bringing forth children into this world. A wonderful picture of the relationship that there is between God and his people. Once again, we see that under attack in our own day. But you see, as, they, as the child fears the Lord, as, as the child fears that the child seeks to please his father. Child should never be frightened of a father. It's a terrible day we live in it when you discover that, you know, children are frightened, have a, a fear of their parents. You know, children go to school and the teacher maybe sees something and there's obviously something wrong here and you discover that they're being abused by their parents, by a father or something like this, physically abused or otherwise. No, 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 no. That's not a proper relationship. A proper relationship is the father doing everything for the child and the child growing up seeking to do that which honours the father, honours the parents. And you see, that's what you get here when it says, when he goes on to say, that the, that the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. His righteousness is what they are covered in, but to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. You see, they're not doing them in order to be righteous. They're doing them and seeking to keep the commandments because God is their father. They are seeking to keep the covenant because God is their father. And when they fall and when they, when they, they fail, it laments them. Why? Because they have offended the father. But look, <clears throat> they've offended the father, but such mercy the father has that he puts, like a father putting away the child falls. The child does something that's wrong. The father forgives. He pities the, he pities the, the children. My friend, what a wonderful gospel. What a wonderful God. I think one of the brethren started the prayer and said, how wonderful a God we serve this evening. 
God the Father who loves his people, who pities them, even when they fall, when they fail, he's like a father to the children. And we have the elder brother, Jesus Christ. There is the great example. There is the great uh, one in who, in, through whom we're able to come to the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What a wonderful psalm there is here. Bless the Lord's holy name. What a wonderful psalm we have before us this evening. It's a psalm that speaks of the psalmist blessing the Lord for the many tokens that God had given to him and the many blessings that he had received at the hands of the Almighty. Sam Simmons 